last week on the 70s Weekly Countdown with Mark and Pete. <laughs> well, isn't there that old dude that walks around with no pants on in the gym? <laughs> No shirt. <laughs> yeah. Oh, sure. shirtless guy. Yeah, I haven't. <laughs> but I would see him in midwinter with no shirt and down in the clubhouse. <laughs> like, okay. Yeah. I thought it was no pants. That's no, a that's, story. But... That's <laughs> that would be much worse. <laughs> not not that it was a good visual as it was. <laughs> when she had her. Whoa, whoa, whoa! You know what's crazy? No sixty minutes. But maybe uh... maybe they had no one to you know to expose. Yeah, yeah. Interview. <laughs> Watergate was over, and it was like, well, it's not much bigger <laughs> okay. than that. Let's take, yeah. let's yeah. take a break. Yeah, <laughs> uh, big red fan per se, but I like Red Fox. Yeah, <laughs> big so, red fox. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> jumped over the lazy dog. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that got a big laugh. It was like a, just like. Something that killed in the third grade, or whatever. <laughs> and uh, so this song's been sampled by musicians such as Dr. Dre for his 1992 hit "Nothing But a G Fang." Among is he others. a real doctor? <laughs> I don't know, doctor of music, perhaps. But uh, <laughs> he worked as an operator during one of the telephone union strikes, um, I think, in the 1970s or 80s. And he hung up on a guy who asked for the number to the master bait shop. Albert Lee and Hogan's Heroes. <laughs> so There's a it, band called Hogan's Heroes? These folks are from Germany. So it was written with very few lyrics because this German group couldn't speak English. I bet they can say... Speckstimme. <laughs> you, you beat me to it, friend. So this uh, this gentleman who is an enemy of the uh, uh, proletariat in the USSR uh, because he's a capitalist uh, rock and roll pig. And Sadaika said he really liked this song because it was not such a goody goody two shoes thing like uh, a lot of his other songs were well it's the one where he well he was shot dead <laughs> oh yeah a snitch that's yeah. right <laughs> good episode yeah. go look up kojak he was shot dead because he was a goody two shoe snitch <laughs> oh you're not gonna give me lying eyes again are you <laughs> yeah you stab me in the back the first chance you get <laughs> you can't do that <laughs>
Hello again, and welcome to the 70s Weekly Countdown with Mark and Pete, a show where two friends review a randomly chosen American Top 40 episode from the 1970s, the most interesting decade in pop music. My name is Mark Robeck, and with me is my friend and co-host, Peter Gardo. Hello, Peter. I'm afraid to ask you what's happening. (laughs) (laughs) Howdy, Mark. So I'm going to put a happy face on. I just got home from work, and we're starting this an hour late, so I apologize. So we had election day, and so that happened. And then uh, tomorrow, or later this week, some sometime this week, is is Veterans Day. So I hope you have the day off, because I don't. I used the cyclone rake that I got for my birthday to clean all the leaves on Saturday and Sunday. and uh, But I'm taking tomorrow off, and I'm going to clean the gutters before the big rain comes, the remnants of uh, Hurricane uh, Nicole, or Nicole, or I don't know. Who, who is she? He? Nicole, I think. Okay, yeah. But uh, last, uh, was it on Monday, uh, Sister Number 3 and I, we went to our alma mater, where my uh, my father taught for many years, and uh, it was a scholarship lunch. And so uh, we, uh, we met one of the students that uh, is getting the some of the scholarship money from the from the trust and from what people gave when my folks passed away and such when i give money to the alma mater i make sure it goes to that uh, to that fund because otherwise we're just going to you know keeping the lights on or paying the basketball coach that just quit <laughs> or painting that anchor in front or, or rock or whatever it is <laughs> it's an anchor yeah i never i never painted the anchor did you no no so anything going on with you good not not a heck of a lot. The weather today was pretty nice. Uh, amazingly, last you know last week we had real warm weather. I actually played golf on Sunday. We're having uh, it's like a little bit of extended yeah. golf season, so that was good. But uh, yeah, other than that, uh, no, nothing else going on. No. Did you set your clocks back? I did. It's funny though. It's like here here we are starting an hour late and. Uh, before we got started, I worked out, I took a shower, and then I have a watch in the bathroom that I just leave in there to glance at. And it was like, I had forgotten to set that one back. And I had a momentary panic, like, oh, my God, the podcast is going to start, which wouldn't have mattered anyway. But <laughs> <laughs> So when you worked out, did you see No Shirt Guy? No, nah, no. Nah. I think he might be gone. But uh, yeah, we talked about that last week. Actually, somebody brought up at Trivia that they somebody in the town where you grew up in i guess a neighbor of theirs it's like the guy went out to get his mail stark naked like nothing else. oh my gosh <laughs> whatever yeah <laughs> it was just like i think they said it was in the summer and they were like, like thank god like school didn't start yet or whatever <laughs> Oh my goodness. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, so uh, Pete and I have been friends for 30 plus years. We met in college that he just visited and uh, and then ended up working together for a long time. And now I get to listen to all the stuff that's still going on. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, in each of these episodes, we'll review all 40 songs in the Chosen Weeks Countdown and provide some factual information on each song, as well as our personal opinions, stories, and comments related to it. At the end of the episode, we'll provide our individual choices for the best and worst song, a song that we think will torture the other guy that we've labeled the agonizer, and we'll give our individual A-plus ref grade for the entire countdown. 
Since nobody has the exact same taste in music, our opinions on individual songs may be controversial, but we otherwise intend to keep the conversation light, humorous, and hopefully entertaining. Remember, this is just a discussion, not a competition, so please no wagering. All right, so today's episode is episode number 28 of the 70s Weekly Countdown with Mark and Pete. We're going to talk about that in a second. The American Top 40 from the week ending November 18th, 1978. So... We actually got a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts for our podcast. And yeah. this and this person wrote, terrific. Love the podcast. Fix the incorrect possessive on the 70. <laughs> so I, do I have to get out my shrunken white and figure out, is it 70 apostrophe S or 70 S apostrophe? Do they, does the 70s own the countdown or... Uh, or I, I I don't know. I I mean I've seen other stuff, you know, talking about the 70s where they have it like like we have it. But I mm-hmm. guess if yeah, if you wanted to say the it's the weekly countdown of the 70s that's owned by it, yes. But I almost think can you take it as you're abbreviating the you know 70s plural with the damn apostrophe s so i i don't know but i'm not changing it (laughs) (laughs) because that would cause all sorts of havoc you've done more damage than you know well maybe i could have the i could have the logo change maybe when my daughter comes back from uh from winter break uh, yeah break she can uh get us a a logo that doesn't come out of the land of clip art but thank you to np fish whoever that is for giving us that five-star rating. Thank you very much. Yeah, yeah, thank you. So that being said, the uh, the title of this week's podcast is Double Vision Causes Me to Kiss You All Over. Double Vision Causes Me to Kiss You All Over. <laughs> yeah, we have to worry about our punctuation from now on, I think. <laughs> what did my sister, the English major, give that review? <laughs> Well, if she's an English major, get you know, get her. So. Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll ask her what the deal is. All right, so um, what were you up to during uh, middle, mid-November 1978? Well, on this actual date, Saturday, the, uh, the 18th, my mother wrote into my father's date book. So I pulled out my dad's date book. ILC dinner party. And we talked about that last week uh, where there was, and this is the International Ladies Circle, um, which was at the university and, you know, back in the seventies. So this is 1978. So for, for throughout the decade until, you know, I got out of high school, I had to go to these things. And there were people from all over the planet that were cooking food. You know, you think of it now, you say, Oh, I want to have food from uh, Lebanon. Mm-hmm. You can find a Lebanese place. Well, in the set 50 years ago, you couldn't do that. You know, there were steakhouses and pizza joints and um you know diners and, yeah maybe uh, chinese farm, here and there maybe yeah. chinese yeah, yeah yeah the farm shop okay yeah. <laughs> um ac peters from farms you know places you know even even probably back then i don't know did drug stores still have uh lunch counters that might have been gone by then yeah i don't remember any but th- you know we had food from all and it was you know my mother says you got to try everything all right and so that was a dinner party so and of course, we were there, there weren't a lot of I don't remember a lot of kids there and stuff, but uh one of the professors that worked with my my father was at this uh uh 
scholarship lunch and he he got up and he spoke and he spoke of my dad and my mom because he, he's not from this country he's he's from somewhere else and uh he spoke about how gracious you know my mom was with with having her be, be part of the community with uh with, with this uh with this organization so i wouldn't know how to pronounce his name if you <laughs> asked me but but he was uh he was very gracious and uh, there was another professor there we talked about in 1992 how my folks were in Munich and they were visiting their daughter who was abroad in Innsbruck. And my folks went down for a couple of days and hung out down in Innsbruck. And uh, it was it was very nice story. So it's uh, it was very special. And, and congratulations to those children that uh, I guess students, I shouldn't call them children, that uh, that got these uh, these scholarships. Yeah, yeah, that's great. It's great that that you got to experience that. And also kind of great that, you know, through your father and stuff, that legacy is going on, too. So so do you have anything in your date book? Um, I do not. I do not have a date book. This is a little too late for Gail's spy book. So I just um, I was, you know, into that uh, first uh, freshman year of of high school at, at this point and um, no real specific uh, stuff for this date. We did have some some new stuff going on uh, not not a lot. So some news headlines from uh, mid-November 78. We had on the date of the actual countdown, November 18th, Billy Joel went to number one on the U.S. album chart with his sixth studio album, 52nd Street. His first U.S. number one album was also the first commercial album to be released on compact disc by Sony Music Entertainment. And oh, wow. um, with that album, Joel won the 1979 Grammy for Album of the Year. So it's it's kind of interesting. I wonder what when the actual disc came out. I I probably should have went off and looked at yeah, that. Probably eighty three or I, I think I bought my first compact disc in nineteen eighty four. Yeah, yeah, somewhere in that that time. Period. And I didn't have a player. My roommate in college did, so I I used his. <laughs> yeah. Um, also on November eighteenth, a terrible thing happened uh, in in Jonestown, Guyana. Nine, 918 members of the People's Temple they are murdered or and or they were committing a mass suicide under the leadership of cult leader Jim Jones. So remember that pretty vividly on the news. Oh, it yeah. was a huge, huge tragic story. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and then what came out of it is is the gallows humor, you know, everywhere. Yeah. You're going to drink the Kool-Aid. <laughs> right, right, yeah. So um, one other item on November 26th, uh, Christina Crawford's autobiography, Mommy Dearest, reached the bestseller list, uh, or status, excuse me. Um, and she, yeah, she was the stepdaughter of Joan Crawford, and she wrote this kind of tell-all book that wasn't very uh, flattering to Joan Crawford. And do you remember that they made a movie out of it? And uh, the in the trailer, at least, because I don't think I ever saw the movie. They always had, you know, Joan, Joan Crawford yelling, "No wire hangers ever!" And yeah, and, and then and then using it as like a whip or something. Yeah, yeah. And so yeah. my wife gave out a thing about wire hangers. She didn't like them in the in the closet because you know if you if you put them together, they'd get tangled. But the plastic ones didn't. So I used to always joke, "Oh." You agree with Joan Crawford? <laughs> no wire hangers ever. And Gail had so many of those plastic hangers that, if you remember, I was able to fill all those new closets we had at our 
at our work area with plastic hangers from from my house when I cleaned them out. So those are that's how this okay. all relates to that uh, mommy dearest movie. Well, I think Faye Dunaway played Joan uh, Crawford. Joan Crawford in 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 the movie that came out later. Yeah, and the only thing I've ever seen with Faye Dunaway is the '90s Columbo that she was in. Oh yeah, I don't think I've I think I don't think I've ever seen anything else by her. I, I I saw that recently. Yeah, she was in quite a few things. Well, she was in Bonnie and Clyde. Bonnie and Clyde, okay, but I never saw that. Three Days of the Condor, Towering Inferno. No, never no, saw that. no. Okay. <laughs> yeah. She's almost like the the female uh, Jeff Bridges. <laughs> <laughs> Although you haven't seen her in Columbo, I don't think I saw her in Columbo. Was ever in well, Columbo. you know, if Jeff Bridges <laughs> had ever been a. Uh, on Colombo, I would have seen him. So yeah. All right. Um, some technology in 1978. Uh, no specific dates for this stuff, but um, WordStar was first released in 1978. That was the word processing software we had before your, uh, you know, Microsoft Word and etc. And remember that, WordPerfect? Yeah, yeah. I remember that too. Yeah, that, I think that, that happened. That happened before. Microsoft Word, right? I think that crushed. Yeah, I think that happened after WordStar and before. uh, And the other thing is, uh, um, Dan Bricklin creates VisiCalc. That's considered to be the first spreadsheet software program. And uh, so there's the start of your over mousing. I guess. (laughs) Well, I tell you, you know, people people use Excel because that's the standard now. Because at first it was Ashton Tate, you know, one two three and Lotus one two three and yeah um, and on the Vax we had Deck Calc right? oh yeah and <laughs> and, uh, and there was another one uh, that Borland had called Borland but people use it it can become such a mess okay you know give give me three by five index cards and a number two pencil and we'll do a better job <laughs> yeah <laughs> all right so. <laughs> <laughs> So, how was the economy doing, Mark, back in 79? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or 78, so, 78, I'm sorry. 78, yeah, not so great. Uh, unemployment rate, 7.1%. Inflation rate, 12.4%. Um, that wind still wasn't working. Uh, uh, the same <laughs> buying power. Well, Mr. Carter was in office, you know, for yeah. nine months by now. Yeah, yeah, he didn't, uh, he wasn't able to do it any better than Ford at that point. So, yeah, same buying power of today's dollar was about 22 cents back then. And the cost of a gallon of regular gas was 63 cents, which was $2.87. That would be that price today, pretty good price. And does this match uh, any uh, real time data you might have, Pete, on your index cards there? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so uh, on the 21st, which is, I guess, uh, three days later, the 1974 VW Dash was filled up uh, for, uh, and it cost 68.9 cents per gallon. And that was in the town I grew up in. And that got 25.43 miles per gallon. And then the Volkswagen bus was filled up the day after that on the 22nd. And it cost 61.9 cents per gallon for 17.21 miles per gallon. So that's a seven cent difference. Now, <clears throat> that gas was bought in the town that uh, that you 
reside in now. Uh-huh. So, and, and I just uh, I just bought gas this morning, and it was four dollars and twenty seven point nine cents a gallon. Wow. Okay. So that was super super duper. Ah. Okay. Since I messed up before, let's try it again. What were you watching on TV? <laughs> Yeah, so I, I just I decided uh, to just go with the the actual night uh, that this countdown is from. So this is uh, from Saturday, November eighteenth, nineteen seventy eight, and on CBS. Uh, even though you had a big lineup on CBS, usually they they had a movie, uh, the Bible. In the beginning, was the episode was a multi part thing. So that was a movie from nineteen sixty six, and it had a huge all star cast. Uh, Sounds like the Old Testament if it says in the beginning. Yeah, yeah, I think it. I think it was all. I don't, well, I don't know. I, I mean, that episode obviously was. I don't know if it went. It went through uh, both the old and the new. Probably did. Yeah. So that was uh, that took up all of CBS's prime time, and then over on ABC at eight, you had Battle of the Network Stars number five. So it's interesting. I had to hold on. At- hold on. Hold on. That's a Roman numeral. Yeah. <laughs> Do it the right way. Yeah. Battle of the Network Stars V. <laughs> you know, if people don't remember that. That was three teams of celebrities uh, from each of the three big networks competed in a variety of sporting events. So for this one, uh, the team captains were Gabe Kaplan from ABC, McLean Stevenson from CBS, and Robert Conrad from NBC. Now, this wasn't the episode where they had the big race between Gabe Kaplan and Robert Conrad. That came actually in the first Battle of the Network Stars, which was uh, several years earlier. This one, we had notable team members for uh, ABC. We had Debbie Boone, Robert Urich, and Robin Williams. Over on CBS, we had Valerie Bertinelli and David Letterman, also Lou Ferrigno, and over on NBC, you had William Shatner. It's kind of weird because looking up some of these people, like William Shatner, he didn't have a series on NBC at that point. He he was didn't just he do that like Botany Bay show. Remember the, the set in San Francisco? Barbary Coast, but that Barbary was, Coast that was yeah. earlier, and it wasn't. I think that was on ABC. So I looked it up. He was just he was on um, a mini series. They did. Uh, it was actually Little Women they did. And and then there was another like TV movie he was in on NBC. So and then like David Letterman, he didn't have his show or anything on CBS, but he he was in the uh, the Starland vocal band <laughs> show that we talked about the variety show. So that was airing at that time. And I didn't realize so- there were two Battle of the Network stars in this year. There was an earlier one. I guess number uh, IV, and that um, that was more interesting. It seemed in terms of the the cast they had. So then on at ten on ABC after the Battle of the Network Stars, you had uh, Fantasy Island. And the episode was the appointment slash Mister Tattoo. And then over on NBC at eight, you had Chips, and the episode was The Sheik. At nine, you had a made for tv movie which was frankie and annette the second time around and that was frankie avalon and annette funicello and the plot was uh, they meet at a college campus after years of separation and it was kind of a 
romance thing, I guess. So I don't remember that. Do you? Uh, no, no. Yeah. Yeah. I probably wouldn't have watched it <laughs> anyway, but, uh, uh, and then after that, um, at 10, there was a show called Lifeline. I don't remember that at all. I, I, no, no, yeah, no. Yeah. So kind of uh, next time I might, cause it was weird. There was like interesting things, like one thing on different nights all around this countdown. And I, I almost went with that. Maybe I will next time if I run into this again. But uh, so that was your TV for Saturday night. Wonderful. Okay, so we're live on the Twitter machine. Yeah. At 70S Weekly. Uh, no apostrophe in the wrong spot because I don't think they allow special characters. Yeah, we're lucky and there. If you went to the Rialto Theater or the Paris Theater, what would you see on? There are a couple things out that, that I remember anyway. Um, on November 8th, there was a movie called Magic with Anthony Hopkins, Anne Margaret, and Burgess Meredith. Anthony Hopkins, he was a ventriloquist. And then he, he, he goes mad and the, the dummies talking to him and... <laughs> causing him to kill people or whatever I, I don't think i've ever seen a movie with anthony hopkins either oh oh my god wow okay then i'll have to a, look him up he's a name gr- one he's a great actor uh silence of the lamps yeah uh, mutiny on the bounty oh yeah. i saw the one from the 1930s with errol flynn i think yeah he was in the mel gibson one the one they did later yeah i but, never uh, saw that yeah he's a good actor on November 10th, you had Paradise Alley with uh, Sylvester Stallone and Ian Archer. And that was like, uh, was kind of a stinker of a movie, but he was like a wrestler back in 1940s New York. Um, I never saw it. I just remember seeing the trailer. Well, we just watched the Mannix this week. I think that had Ian Archer in it. Mm, okay. And, um, and it might have been the one where Mannix is invited to a party and I'm looking at the house that they're in and it's freaking the Brady Bunch house. And I think she, she might've been in that one. Okay. Yeah, you sent that to me, a picture of that. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and the crazy thing about it is Mr. Brady was the district attorney or, or something. He was he, at the same time, he was uh, doing uh, both the Brady Bunch and the Mannix. Yeah. So, yeah. I, I had a revelation too. Well, there's there's two things. One, I think I told you before, I swear to God that Colonel Clink's office and Kojak's office are the same set. Um, yeah, I remember you telling me you're that. You're shaking That's your the, head. All right. Yeah. So let's leave that one out for a minute. You know how in Mannix, like his office, it's like his apartment is upstairs or whatever. There's stairs there. I think yeah. it's it's magnum pi's you know guest house on, on uh, no magnum pi was was filmed on location in hawaii no way they wouldn't they wouldn't fly him back to have higgins maybe come they over flew and the to... set over there yeah. <laughs> all right i i just think it looks alike it's got well the, the colors stairs, the same the yeah. stairs come down the well, same the stair- way yeah yeah but but those <laughs> The stairs are like that in Maud. And they all, all those shows Gail used to comment, they have the swinging door because they didn't want people like opening and closing a door to the kitchen. So it's like, <laughs> nobody has a swinging door. <laughs> I have a swinging door in my house. Do you? To the yeah. kitchen? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, nice. I used to have two of them. I took one out when we did the renovation 20 years ago. Oh, okay. I stand corrected. Well, you live in the butt off Williams house. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> So, um, so Bill Withers introduced the, this uh, episode of the AT40 Countdown when it aired on uh, Sirius XM. And now, as Casey would say, on the countdown. 
Well, I didn't rec- remember this song at all. I don't remember Gene Cotton at all. I'm done. Yeah, yeah. So this one uh, peaked right here at number 40. It's a song about Joe McCarthy, uh, you know, the anti-communist hearings back in the 50s. <laughs> so it has a familiar lyric in it. He says, don't you know? <laughs> so, oh. But uh, Gene Cotton, um, he's uh, he was an American pop and folk uh, singer-songwriter. His other top 40 hits were You Got Me Running, that went to number 33 and 76. Before My Heart Finds Out, that went to number 23 and 78. And You're Part of Me with Tim Carnes, that went to number 36 in 1978. Uh, I've heard still- of James Cotton, who's a blues man. Mm-hmm. Okay, not this dude. Yep. But he's so, still with us? He's still with us, yeah. He's 78 years old. That's actually a pretty good song. Okay, sure. <laughs> so, this is Donnie and Marie Osmond. Yay! The song is On the Shelf off the soundtrack to the movie Going Coconuts, starring. I think Donnie we talked about Going Coconuts. Yeah. And how they did this movie instead of being in something else, and it was a mistake. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I I just always crack up because uh, Gail and I used to joke about this movie because she she said it was so bad it was good. It was one of those. And we'd be <laughs> like, you know, yeah, Citizen Kane was the greatest movie of all time, with the possible exception of going <laughs> coconuts. <laughs> So this one peaked uh, one notch higher at number 38. I couldn't find much of anything else about this song. Yeah. We could have a Going Coconuts podcast. You know, they yeah. have these podcasts where they, you know, take, you know, five seconds of the of the movie and talk about it the whole time. Yeah. Someone else told me that. I forget where I heard that. But anyhow. Yeah. All right. This is Paul Anka. This is love. Mm-hmm. This is boring. Yeah, it, it only got a little higher to number 35. Casey talked about how Paul Anka was back in the day dating Annette Funicello and how he wrote Puppy Love about their relationship because at the time the Disney execs kind of forced the two of them to break up because they didn't think it was a good image for a pop star like Anka to be dating a squeaky clean mouseketeer like uh, Annette Funicello. But but Paul Anka wasn't the uh, capitalist pig. That was Neil Sedaka. That was Neil Sedaka, yeah. So uh, this was Paul Anka's last top 40 hit in the 70s. He'd have one more in 1983 with uh, Hold Me Till the Morning Comes. He had a total of 34, though, top 40s starting in 1957 with Diana. And he is 81 years old. Uh, this is Le Freak by Chic. This one got to number one, and 
Sheik was a group led by bass player Bernard Edwards and uh, guitarist Niall Rogers. And the two of them wrote this after they were denied admission to the nightclub Studio 54, even though their song, Dance, 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 Yowza, 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 <laughs> often played inside uh, the studio. Um, it, I guess this, on New Year's Eve 1977, they were invited to Studio 54 by Grace Jones, who wanted Rogers and Edwards to do some production work for her. And she asked them to come down to the club as her guest. But when they got there, they weren't on the list to get in. And so they were really ticked off when they were leaving. And they, they said, oh, you know, why don't you just go and quote, fudge off? Only they didn't say fudge. They said, hey, maybe we could do a song about that. But then they were a little uncomfortable with it being, you know, that blue. So they, they changed it to Freak Off. But then they said that title sounded lame. And so they made the opening lines, ah, freak out. And then they just used the French to make la freak. <laughs> so. Yeah. It's so a great this, song, great groove. I love this song. Yeah, so this is the best-selling single of all time for Atlantic Records with 13 oh, wow. million uh, in sales, including 2 million in the U.S. So. Yeah. yeah, it's awesome. Yeah. yeah, it is a good song. Because uh, Casey brought down the house, uh, like Snoozeville, with a with an AT40 extra right after this with Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young. <laughs> You know, doing Woodstock. And um, enough said. On to number 36. Boy, this song and like Freak with that snoozer in the middle. Ugh. I yeah. mean, it's culturally important, but I don't know. Yeah, yeah, it didn't really fit. It was kind of too like a throwback out of the disco, but. Um... Yeah, so this is, uh, she just said it, I'm Every Woman by Shaka Khan. Off Chaka of Khan. her album Shaka Khan. Yeah, her album Shaka in 1978. Her real name is Yvette Marie Stevens, so I think we mentioned before. This one got to number 21. And uh, Casey said as a member of Rufus, uh, Shaka had so far been responsible for seven top 40 hits. This was written by Ashford and Simpson. Ah. Uh, lyrics were written uh, by Nick Ashford, so he wrote the lyrics to I'm Every Woman. <laughs> wow. So um, this was Shaka's first hit as a solo artist. Uh, she was still recording with Rufus at the time, but she released her own album as a side project. This song is featured in the 2001 film Bridget Jones' Diary. As a contributor, Shaka is all over the chart. As a solo performer, her biggest hit, hit came in 1983 with I Feel For You, which went to number three and number one on the R&B and dance charts. And uh, it was number one in the UK. And uh, Shaka's still with us. She's 69 years old. Still hear this one on the radio. So as Casey talked about the song that everyone's heard, mm -hmm. uh, it got right onto the top 100, all the way to number 35 this week. So was this, this off the Saturday Night 
Fever soundtrack, or is this off their next record? I don't, I don't, I don't know. Um, it's it's listed as being off the album Spirits Have Flown. Okay, uh, so that was after Saturday Night Fever, then. Yeah. yeah. So this is, yeah, of course, the Bee Gees, and this is Too Much Heaven. It was first actually released as a single, and it, and it got to number one. And the Bee Gees ruled in 1978 with three number one hits, plus three more that they, or at least perhaps also Barry Gibb, wrote for other artists. Shadow Dancing by Andy Gibb, If I Can't Have You by Yvonne Elliman. Great song. Grease by Frankie Valli. Remarkably, they had another three chart toppers in 1979, starting with Too Much Heaven. The Bee Gees donated the royalties from this song, estimated to be at least $7 million to UNICEF. Uh, And they did that along with Donna Summer, John Denver, ABBA, and a few other big names. So that was... I remember you at, at Halloween, people would sometimes go around with these little cardboard boxes for UNICEF and they would yeah. ask for coins. Yeah, did you ever or, do that? I never did it. I remember people coming to the house though, trick or treating. And you're for like, UNICEF. where's my change? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Nowadays right. it'd be like, oh my God, what do I do? Venmo it to you? On my way home tonight, I heard Elton John doing a duet with uh, uh, Leon Russell. I guess they put a record out in nineteen in, in twenty oh eight or something, uh-huh. and uh, kind of reminded me of this because I, of course, parsed this uh, up. It, it was interesting to hear them together. They've been friends for a long time, and uh, what what LP is this off of? So this is off of a single man. And, and yeah, this is part-time love. This one got to number 15. So this was written by Elton John with, with lyrics by Gary Osborne. So a little bit different for for him. But uh, I didn't really have much else on this one either. It was hard to find anything. I think it's okay, but it's kind of a weak effort for Elton John, I thought. Sort of just bland poppy. All right, are you going to have to have uh, <laughs> need help uh, with the people in this band? <laughs> I hope not. After I came up with that, uh, you know, visual cue there for Carl. <laughs> this is Toto. This is Hold the Line, and uh, I forget which LP it's off. Is it off their first LP? It is. Toto Four was on with Africa and all that stuff. Yeah, this is off of uh, just Toto you know, in yeah. 1978. And Casey said, uh, this is a six-man band out of Los Angeles who call themselves Toto. (laughs) (laughs) So this one got to number five, and it was their first single. And yeah, these guys were six very talented musicians who had backed up other artists like Boz Skaggs, Aretha Franklin, Barbra Streisand, and uh, Jackson Brown. Toto was one of the few American bands to make music videos in the years before MTV went on the air. And for Hold the Line, they produced a 
uh, simple performance video featuring guitarist Steve Luthaker wearing some sweet suspenders. <laughs> I'll put a link to that in the show notes. And they moved on to concept videos in the 80s and became one of the most popular artists on uh, early MTV. That low-budget video of Hold the Line ended up getting millions of views out there on YouTube in, in later years. Well, after this song was a long-distance dedication, and it was by our friends from Bread, If, yeah. and we've, we've, we've already dismembered that song. But we do like the Tully Savalas version, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah, that's a much better version, actually. So Casey was talking about, not only is this guy a pop star, but he's a movie star. And he went through a whole bunch of movies, including Animal House, that was out now. And we've talked about it. This is Mr. Stephen Bishop, the gentleman that was playing the guitar on the stairwell that John Belushi ended up smashing to pieces. Yeah, I'll have to I put that, see that movie. Yeah, I'll have to put that clip in the show notes. Yeah, so this is uh, Everybody Needs Love off his album, Bish. <laughs> um, so this one peaked right here at number 32, but went to number five on the adult contemporary chart. And uh, yeah, we've seen this guy in our countdown before. He had On and On from 1977. Ray Parker Jr. and Michael Cimbello played guitars on this track. Bishop's composition, Separate Lives, sung by Phil Collins and Marilyn Martin from the 1980 movie. 1985 movie White Nights was nominated for an Academy Award for Best Original Song, but it Never lost to Say You, Say Me from the same movie. Never saw it. <laughs> Bishop wrote the song about his uh, breakup with actress Karen Allen, who appeared in Animal House and also Raiders of the Lost Ark. I don't think, no, I, did I see that? No, I don't think I, I saw one of the later ones. Okay. Besides On and On, uh, that went to number 11 in 77. His other top 40 hit as a performer was Save It for a Rainy Day, that went oh, to sure. number 22 in 77. And uh, he's still with us. He's 70 years old. So this, uh, this is the girlfriend of Jerry Brown. Linda yeah. Ronstadt. She was uh, on our last countdown from September 9th, 1978 with Back in the USA and uh, Ooh Baby Baby. Yeah, yeah. And this is off her uh, album Living in the USA, which we talked about that album cover. Yeah, this is the highest debuting song of the week. Um, this is, of course, a cover of the Smokey Robinson and the Miracles hit from 1965 that went to number 16. Smokey Robinson wrote this with fellow Miracle Pete Warren Moore, and it's now considered the Miracle's signature song. Oh, wow. Linda's version went to number seven. And you know what? As much as I like Linda Ronstadt, I kind of think this is a weak cover. Not, not a good song for her, I don't think. Yeah. I think it's more of a song for, like, harmonies, you know? Yeah. Well, after this, they... Uh... They're starting their countdown of the number one hits of the 70s. And uh, it was uh, the Partridge family, I Think I Love You, uh, in the countdown. We've, we've heard that before, and it's in the collection here. So we're on to number 30. Surprised to hear. 
<clears throat> is this uh housewife rock <laughs> yeah yeah god if you didn't know better i think it was bread <laughs> this is <laughs> This is uh, Alice Cooper, <laughs> and it's uh, How You Gonna See Me Now um, from his album From the Inside. Of course, his real name is Vincent Damon Fernier. This one was written by Alice Cooper, Bernie Topin, and uh, Dick Wagner. Um, this one got oh, to Dick number. Wagner, yeah. Yeah. This one got to number twelve. It was a regular part of Cooper's setlist on the Madhouse Rocks tour supporting uh, this album uh, from the inside but despite its success as a single he never he hasn't performed it live since 1980 oh man i'm glad we didn't go then uh, two months ago to the oakdale <laughs> to see him because i this is what i wanted to hear yeah yeah me too if i think of alice cooper i think of something like this <laughs> but uh he has had a total of 10 top 40 hits which kind of surprised me but um yeah and uh He's still with us. He's 74 years old. Of course he's still with us. He's still touring. So these two fellas are twins from different mothers. Yeah. Which is, the, which is the name of the LP by Dan Fogelberg and Tim Weisberg. And um, I don't really remember Tim Weisberg, but Dan Fogelberg was important and then probably died about 15 years ago leukemia or something if I remember yeah but, uh... yeah so this is the power of gold as he just said it I almost <laughs> took his thunder but uh, this uh, song got to number 24 I think it's kind of a good song really catchy hook it's a song about uh, greed taking a person over without the person being aware of it the of course you know as you said, Fogelberg is the better known of the two with uh, 11 top 40 singles. But Weisberg has performed with David Benoit, Dave Mason, Dave Arkenstone, and Eddie Rabbit. And uh, Weisberg sued Fogelberg in 1997 for alleged breach of contract and fraud. Oh, and, no. uh, yeah, but as you said, uh, uh, Dan Fogelberg passed away in 2006 at only the age of 56. But uh, Weisberg's still with us. He's 79. I don't remember this song. This is Funkadelic. I don't know why it's not Parliament slash Funkadelic. <laughs> um, and it's uh, One Nation Under a Groove Part 1. Yeah, yeah. So the band leader, uh, George... Clinton conceived this track from a comment when he was shooting a, a film for an unfinished parliament slash funkadelic movie outside the United Nations headquarters. The scene in question was the landing of P-Funk's signature prop, The Mothership, accompanied by a UN staffer raising the flags of the member nations. One of Clinton's friends described what he was looking at as one nation under a groove and so ended up writing this song uh, this one went to number one on the r&b chart giving funkadelic their first topper on that chart and it peaked right here at number 28 on the top chart and yeah funkadelic was an american funk rock band formed in plainfield new jersey in 1968 and acted <laughs> until 1982 yeah 
the band is the sister act of Parliament, which was also the name of the my dad's favorite cigarette brand. <laughs> Funkadelic <laughs> would have been a cooler brand of cigarettes. <laughs> Those are special. Yeah. But uh, George Clinton pioneered the funk music culture of the 70s. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Initially as a backing band for Clinton's vocal group, the Parliament's Funkadelic eventually pursued a heavier, more psychedelic rock-oriented sound. So you talked about New Jersey and New York here. And uh, I was listening to the Jets game on the radio, not this weekend, the previous weekend. And they kept on having these commercials for PSS and G, which is the, you know, the utility in New Jersey. And it kept on saying, um, if you smell something that smells like rotten eggs, call the gas company at this number. Now, I've never smelled rotten eggs. Have you? But you know what it's supposed to smell like. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a, it's it's kind of like the sulfur smell that everybody says. But yeah, yeah, good point. Well, no, actually, I used to bring in a hard-boiled egg to work, and one time I took one out, and it was like, oh my god, this smells like a rotten egg. And it smelled so bad, I, I took it outside and threw it in one of the garbage cans out there because I didn't want, you know, the incident like you had a couple weeks ago. Something <laughs> Yeah, but I, I think, well, the Jets ended up losing that game to the Patriots, I think. But uh, whatever. Yeah. You know, to go from that to this, Eric, Eric, this is Eric Carmen. And Casey had a big, giant, long monogram about how Eric Carmen said, if you want to hear my music, you come to my living room. Yeah. record executives and so the first guy that showed up was clive davis from arista which is this is on and uh clive davis who's very important in the record industry said sure and then he says but eric carmen said not so quick and he had more people come in and then he <laughs> he went with clive davis yeah <laughs> so uh yeah so this song got to number 19 and uh, of course eric carmen's uh, biggest hits were all by myself, which went to number two in 1975. Hungry Eyes that went to number four in '87, and Make Me Lose Control that went to number three in '88. Um, he's still with us. He's 73. Clive Davis is still around too, isn't he? Uh, no, I think he did. He pass away. Okay. Yeah. Well, he was. A, he brought Santana to Arista. Yeah. Know, 22 years ago for Supernatural. You know, because he had been on Columbia forever, you know. Yeah. And, uh, that was a monster record. And, yeah. Uh, This is uh, Don't Want to Live Without It by Pablo Cruz off their album Worlds Away. This one got to number 21. 
Um, they had a bigger hit off the same album with Love Will Find a Way that went to number six. And they yeah, also which had was a- number 21 on our last countdown from September 9th, 1978. Yeah, yeah. And they also had a hit in 77 with What You're Gonna Do. That also went to number six. Um, so initially, many fans assumed Pablo Cruz was the name of one of the members of the band. And when asked the question, the band, which was a quartet, would answer, oh, he's the guy in the middle. <laughs> but uh, when asked what Pablo Cruz meant, the band would say, Pablo represents an honest, real, down-to-earth individual, and Cruz depicts his fun-loving and easygoing attitude towards life. <laughs> so that's so, um, Yeah. So unlike Alice Cooper, which was a made-up name, and Vince and Fernier, you know, took that as his name, none of these guys actually became Pablo Cruz. No, no, just a made-up name. <laughs> that always cracks me up when I hear the beginning of this. <laughs> well, this was number 32 on our last countdown. This is Foxy. Is that Talkbox? Yeah. Yeah. Is that Peter Frampton in there? <laughs> oh, do I have to cue it up? <laughs> Same joke from last episode. <laughs> Tonight on It's the Mind, we examine the phenomenon of deja vu. That strange feeling we sometimes get that we've lived through something before. So, yeah, uh, as you mentioned, yeah, this was number uh, 32. And we talked about the story of this song uh as being kind of a revenge joke and it was their only hit it went to number nine and i think this was my guilty pleasure from that episode if i recall uh, this isn't dave davis (laughs) this is paul davis yeah and this is sweet life off his album Remember Sweet Life, the uh, the canned vegetables and stuff. Oh yeah, isn't it still out there? I haven't seen Sweet Life in a long time. Oh, okay. But I, I but I think that um, Chris from work, our colleague, he I think he worked at the Sweet Life. Uh, 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 what do you Dis- call it? Uh, distributor. The distil- distributor. Yeah. Uh. Oh wow! Okay. <laughs> I just I just heard this and I've been thinking Sweet Life. Yeah, we always used to get Sweet Life at Finest. Yeah. Okay. I was there a Finest I... near you? Um. Oh yeah. Yeah. There was one. There was one not Jordan too far Lane? from the house in the in the in the early days. Yeah. Yeah. But um. On New Britain Avenue. On New Britain Ave. Yeah. Oh, across across from uh, Baker's, the bar. Yeah. 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 Which turned into uh, Adams right near. The college, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, so this uh, "Sweet Life" uh, by Paul Davis. This one went to number seventeen. Um, Davis had a bigger hit in '77 with "I Go Crazy" that went to number seven. Oh yeah. And at yeah. this time, it held the record for the song that took the longest time to get into the top ten. He had a total of seven top forty hits. His biggest hit came in 1982 with "65 Love Affair." Uh, in, in the mid 80s he also had two number one country hits as a guest vocalist on songs by Marie Osmond and Tanya Tucker um, unfortunately he passed away in 2008 
on the day after his birthday at the age of 60. That's a bummer. Wow. Too close. Yeah. He's got a he's got a really nice voice. Yeah, yeah, he does. Number twenty-three. Kind of a funky beginning. Just sort of noticed that. <laughs> so this is uh, straight on by Heart. Off their album Dog and Butterfly. This one went to number 15 and it was written by Anna Nancy Wilson and Sue Ennis, a contributing songwriter who was also a member of the Love Mongers, a band founded by the same Wilson sisters in the 90s. Pete, I think you mentioned that before. Ennis yep. and the Wilson sisters had a friendship going back to childhood. Um, the album Dog and Butterfly went double platinum and the group set off on a grueling tour that covered 77 cities and it apparently took its toll as the group part- partly broke up during the tour. Uh, guitarist Roger Fisher had a breakdown and left to form his own Seattle band. Their manager Mike Fisher, who was uh, Ann Wilson's boyfriend, left both and and the band and both uh, bass player Steve Fossen and drummer Mike DeRozier split away long not long after so this was their uh, hearts fifth top 40 hit starting with their biggest magic man that went to number nine and uh both wilson sisters are still with us and is 72 and nancy is 68. choo choo all right everyone knows the song that's alive yeah my, my daughter knows this you know they played at the hockey game and the you know at the minor league baseball stadium and everyone gets up and looks like a dork which is <laughs> fine because it's a fun song yeah yeah so this of course is ymca by the village people off their album cruising in 1978 so this one would get to number two. Their their previous uh, song, uh, Macho Man, peaked at number 25. So the songwriting credit on YMCA goes to Jacques Morali and Henry Bololo. Didn't um, Jacques also make the Richie family? The song we had last week that yeah. sounded like Up With People? Yeah, yeah, I think it was the same guy. Yeah. Um, and um, also credited as Victor Willis, who was the policeman in the group. And a common misconception was that the village people were all were an all-gay troop, but Victor Willis was not. In fact, from 1978 to 1982, he was married to Felicia Ayers Allen, who played Claire Huxtable on The Cosby Show and later married sports announcer. Ahmad Rashad. Rashad, yep. yep. And What's so, Ahmad Rashad's original name? Don't know. Lou it's like something Johnson. Oh. No, <laughs> so, the famous arm movements that I'm going to do right now on screen here or whatever, uh, that go with this song, they, they originated when the group performed on American Bandstand in an episode that aired January 6, 1979. It wasn't the band that came up with it, it was the audience doing it. And I'll put a link in the show notes. I went out, I watched the video, and sure enough, the band is not doing anything with their arms. The audience is uh, wow. So they've been trained in only two months, two or three months. Wow. 
Unless, you know, the producer of the show said, hey, everyone, you do this. Yeah, that, uh-huh. that could have been. I mean, but but I just thought it, it is It is, you know, as, as much as this is a trope, you know, it is fun, okay, yeah, when you're yeah. at the hockey game. And, and the, you know, this is a type of song, young and old, as you said, you know, your daughter knows this song. Probably, mm-hmm. uh, you know, kids a lot younger than her know it now. Oh, yeah, yeah. absolutely. This is Blue Collar Man, parentheses, Long Nights by Styx, and off their album, Pieces of Eight. So this one peaked right here at number 21. Uh, Styx guitarist Tommy Shaw wrote this song and sang the lead vocals. It's a good example of his songwriting philosophy, which is to write songs people can relate to and enjoy. Tommy Shaw recalled that a friend of his was laid off from the railroad and he was having to go stand in line at the unemployment office and it just drove him nuts because he's like, I want to work. I don't want to stand around here asking for a handout. And uh, it really bugged him. And that was the inspiration for the song. And um, also there's a thing that apparently uh, all the six guys went out on a boat for like a fishing trip and they were they were kind of hung over or wasted and <laughs> Shaw composed the music for this but after hearing the sound of his motorboat engine <laughs> when it failed to start <laughs> oh wow <laughs> yeah so he said it sounded like a good riff to a song and uh, so Tommy I Sh- think I think uh, my buddy Jaime or his his wife saw Tommy Shaw in an airport and he's about Four foot ten. He's a little dude. Ah, he's still with us. He's sixty nine. So how long ago did they see him? (laughs) I don't know. Maybe, maybe he's even shorter now. But he was. (laughs) 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 I think Tommy Shaw's great. Yeah, I I I think he's he's wonderful. I think his thick songs are are a lot better than all the others. (laughs) Yeah. So after this, uh, on the countdown, another number. Another number one song, Tears of a Clown by Smokey Robinson, The Miracle, is played by Casey. So we'll find our way after these commercial breaks to number 20. We're counting down the most popular songs in the country from Kodiak to Kokomo, from Hartford to Honolulu. I heard Sylvester Stallone isn't going to be in Creed 3. I saw that zip across my phone. I didn't click on it. Huh. I've never seen any of those movies. Um, you, you mean Creed or Rocky, period? Yes. Yes. <laughs> okay. I've only seen one of the Creed movies, but uh, I think I've seen all the Rockies. Yeah. But yes, so speaking of Sylvester, this is dance parentheses disco heat by sylvester whose real name is sylvester james jr so casey said here's a big disco hit <laughs> but but i don't remember this one i, I don't remember it either <laughs> yeah so this was uh, sylvester's first top 40 hit in the u.s where it peaked at number 19 
a 12 inch single was released in 1978 with uh, this song as side A and You Make Me Feel Mighty Real as the B side. And these two extended dance mixes proved to be very popular in the dance clubs at the time. The two songs held down the top spot on the Billboard dance slash disco chart for six weeks in August and September of 78 and helped to establish Sylvester's career as a noted disco and dance music performer, both in the U.S. and abroad. The backup singers for this were a group called Two Tons of Fun, who would have the hit It's Raining Men as the Weather Girls in 1982. Um, So this was Sylvester's only hit on the pop chart, and it went to number one on the dance chart, where uh, they had many other hits. Was this from the LP you talked about? Uh, yes, it, uh, it was, was released this date. Oh no, it's it's when it went to number one, Fifty Second yeah. Street. Billy Joel. I heard on the deep tracks that uh, Billy Joel has sold out another concert at Madison Square Garden, like number eighty nine. It's going to be in March or something. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So uh, yeah, this is my life. This one went to number three. And this was this week's biggest mover in the chart of 20 Steps. Uh, it's a song about asserting your independence, and it was the theme to the 1980 television sitcom Bosom Buddies. Perfect. Oh, I thought it was Perfect Strangers. <laughs> yeah. Okay, yeah. Bosom Buddies with Tom yeah. Hanks and Peter Scalera. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, but because of licensing issues, the title theme was not Joel's version. It was sung by a sound-alike singer. Um, so... The high harmonies in this song are sung by Chicago members Peter Cetera and Donnie Vegas. Um, and so they, they yeah, joined Billy to do the backing vocals for this one. And uh, Billy's still with us. He's 73. And I saw him in 2021 after the uh, Formula One race in Austin. He sounded great. Well, <clears throat> Chicago was on Columbia Records just like Billy Joel. So that's 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 probably how that happened. So Billy Joel uh, had number thirty-five. Uh, she's always a woman on our last countdown. And these folks, the Rolling Stones, had number fifteen with "Miss You" on our last countdown. Mm-hmm. So yeah, this is a Beast of Burden off of some girls this one got to number eight um it's sometimes been misunderstood as a put down but this is a rare stone song that treats women as equals jagger sings that uh, excuse me jagger thank you I'll make you a drink. I'll make you a drink that has a couple of jiggers of something. Okay, Okay. thank you. (laughs) So he sings uh, that he he don't need no beast of burden. And a beast of burden is, of course, an animal that labors for the benefits of men, like an ox or a pack mule. 
Keith Richards actually wrote this one, but a lot of the lyrics were improvised in the studio while the band played. <laughs> Jagger came in with different lines to the Jagger. <laughs> As a result, some of the lyrics are less than meaningful and a little repetitious. Rolling Stone magazine ranked the, this song number 435 on their list of the 500 greatest songs of all time. Uh, Mick Jagger's 79, Keith Richards is 78, Ron Wood is 75, and unfortunately, Charlie Watts passed away in 2021 at the age of 80. So. Yeah, but Bill Wyman is still alive. Right? Yeah. He's like 83 or yeah. He was the oldest guy. Yeah, he was. Yeah. yeah. Or is the oldest guy. Did Billy Joel do background vocals on this record? Billy Jowl? Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> so, so this is uh, Alive Again by Chai Kago. And what Roman numeral is this off of? This isn't. It's off of an album called Hot Streets. Hot Streets. <laughs> yep. So Casey went into this big long story about the death of uh, the, the guitarist Terry Kath and how it reinvigorated the band. And after auditioning over 30 potential replacements for Kath, Chicago decided upon guitarist and singer-songwriter Donnie Dacus. I also read that Doc Severinsen encouraged the band to continue after Kath's funeral. I guess he was friends with them. So this was Chicago's first hit after Kath uh, died, who accidentally shot himself on January 23rd, 1978. To mark the new era for the band, they broke tradition and did not name the album after the band with a number. Hot Streets A Roman followed... numeral, not a number. Right. Hot, <laughs> Hot Streets followed Chicago XI, but their next album picked up the old format and was titled Chicago X I I I I I I I I So this was uh, written by Chicago's trombone player uh, Jimmy Pankow and uh, the lead vocals by Peter Satira and it's a song about a lonely man who gets a new lease on life by meeting an amazing woman who truly loves him. It's a good song. This is a snoozer. This is Firefall, Strange Way. Mm, okay. Do you have yeah. anything? Yeah, yeah. So this is off their album, uh, Elan, in uh, 1978. This one went to number 11. And we've seen these guys before. They had uh, You Are the Woman that went to number 9 in 76. And Just Remember I Love You that went to number 11 in 77. Strange Way was written by Firefall singer-guitarist Rick Roberts, who, along with fellow uh, singer-guitarist Larry Burnett, wrote most of their songs. Roberts wrote most of their hits. He crafted them to be radio-friendly, but Burnett's songs were darker and more uh, rock-leaning. Um, the flute played by David Muse is a big part of this song. 
and in concert he would stretch out his solo doing a long improvisation. Live versions could run up to 10 minutes long. These guys would have two more top 40 hits that would peak at number 36 and uh, number 40. None were as big as the three top 40 hits they had up to this point. Is. He just said it. This is Time Passages by Al Stewart off his album, Time Passages. So this is the guy that people are yelling uh, at us through their podcast machines when we didn't <laughs> think of who sang the year of the cat. That's right. Yeah. Sorry, so, Doug. <laughs> yeah. So this one got to number seven. Um, so Al Stewart didn't like this song. He said the the record company asked me to write something that sounded like Year of the Cat, and we ended up doing that. But I didn't realize truly how bad the song was until one day I was in an elevator and I was listening to what I thought was Muzak, and about 30 seconds went by, and finally I began to recognize it and said to myself, this sounds pretty horrible. Then, horror of horrors, I heard my own voice come out. <laughs> it was the actual <laughs> record. But his, the co-writer of the song, uh, Peter White, tells a different story. And he said, there was no attempt or even conversation about writing anything similar to Year of the Cat, uh, which Al wrote with Peter Wood. And he said, even if Al says he doesn't like the song, he's been playing it on stage, stage consistently for the last 32 years. <laughs> So this and Year of the Cat were uh, his only top 40 hits in the 70s, but he had two more in the 80s, and uh, he's still with us. He's 77. This this uh, saxophone solo reminds me of Baker Street. Yeah, it does. So then uh, we had a long-distance dedication with uh, <clears throat> someone wanted to hear Barry Manilow doing Can't Smile Without You. <laughs> and we'll we'll then find our way to uh number 14 right now all right this is one of the other songs that uh probably uh barry gibb wrote for his little brother andy yeah and uh i've heard this enough yeah, yeah. So this was the third single released off uh, Andy Gibbs' second studio album. It's titled yeah, Our Love, Don't Throw It All Away. And it was his fifth single to reach the top ten. It got to number nine. Barbara Streisand recorded her rendition of this song in 2005 off her album Guilty Pleasures, which had Barry Gibb on the album cover with her. And on Streisand version, uh, Barry Gibb is heard singing also the chorus. Also, uh, Jennifer Love Hewitt covered this song on her 1996 self-titled album. Who's that? Yeah, she's, uh, was it Party of Five was her big show? And she's still on a show, one of those 911 shows, I think. Oh, I've heard the name, but I don't know who she is. Yeah. I didn't know she More was. of an actress, and like, she put out an album in the, yeah, in the Like Sheryl Ladd? 
Yeah, yeah, kind of the same thing. I don't think it went very far. Do you have a dog? Um, that's outside, actually, and my windows are closed. It <laughs> must be a big dog. Yeah, it's the Hound of the Baskervilles out there. <laughs> Devil Dog, the Hound of Hell, Tuesday at 9, 8 Central and Mountain, right after the paper chase. <laughs> I thought it was the dogs upstairs. I'm, I'm thinking, oh my goodness, are you getting a package delivered? Yeah. It's a mailman late? Yeah, I mean, I got headphones on, I could hear it, so, so yeah. Yeah. Well, this is Dr. Hook, and uh, I, think he, I think Casey talks about uh, how they had a, they were starving and they, they had a hit song. Yeah, yeah, so this is Sharing the Night Together, off their album Pleasure and Pain, and, and yeah, Casey talked about how they struggled for years. They got big in the spring of 1973, and they were even on the cover of the Rolling Stone, in which they had that song, cover of the right. Rolling Stone. But um, but then uh, it all went to dust, but then Capitol Records gave them a contract, and they released a cover of Sam Cooke's Only 16, which was a big oh, hit, yeah. and then that, that helped them uh, get back on track. And uh, yeah, this one got to number six. Yeah. I think the Captain Hook guy died. <laughs> In the last two years. Yeah. Right. Or, I called Captain. Him Captain Hook. You did. I, I, I just kind of <laughs> accepted it. <laughs> Error, law, imperfection must sterilize. <laughs> I almost think, you know, he was yeah, like 80 something years old. You yeah. Know? So. <laughs> His real name wasn't Dr. Hook, it was Captain Hook. <laughs> <laughs> well, this young lady was on our uh, countdown with the same song at number 37. Yeah. Does she growl on this? Yeah, she does. I remember we were talking about the growling. This is Alicia Bridges with I Love the Nightlife Disco Round. Yeah. Yeah, and um, yeah, this one would get to number five, and it was featured in the the film Love at First Bite from 1979 with uh, George Hamilton. We need to we need to have a a podcast, you know, view of that movie. Yeah, yeah, that looks great. That'd be a lot of fun, I think. Um, song was also in Adventures of Priscilla, Queen of the Desert in 1994, and The Last Days of Disco from 1998. And this was Alicia Bridges' first and only top 40 hit. She's still with us. She's 69. Yeah. Yeah. I could see it now. You and me watching Love at First Bite because no one would dial in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, looks like a funny movie. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> All right. This is the snoozer. This is our buddy Barry that had a long distance dedication before and this is ready to take a chance again and i don't know what lp it's off of i i don't have any berry in my collection yeah did, did gail like berry not really but it's funny so this speaking of movies this this is from a movie soundtrack it's it's the movie foul play so this is yeah ready to take a chance again and uh this peaked right here at number 11. the movie starred goldie hawn and chevy chase so gail People always said she reminded them of uh, she reminded them of uh, Goldie Hawn. 
So uh, Gail became a fan of Goldie Hawn. So she uh-huh. she liked this movie. And it's about a shy San Francisco librarian and a bumbling cop falling in love as they solve a crime involving albinos, dwarves, and the Catholic Church. <laughs> so, so what was it? Uh, what was that big book? You know, 15 years ago, they made Tom Hanks was in that movie. I did see that one with the Catholic Church and the Dan Dan Brown book. Oh yeah, yeah the uh, the the Da Vinci Code. Da Vinci Code, yeah, because there was they a had sequel. the yeah, but but in that there's like the Jack Del Rio or something uh, uh, sect of the Catholic Church. What the heck was it? Opus Dei. Opus Dei. Yeah, that's what, yeah. Opus Dei. Yeah, yeah, I don't know how I got on that, but yeah. So, so <laughs> go ahead. Uh, so Barry Manilow's Copacabana. Um, was also in the movie and oh okay uh, yeah barry's still with us he's 79 but uh yep. what were you gonna say well i was gonna move on oh, because okay. uh we had another uh, number one song of the 70s my sweet lord by george harrison of course we know all that where where he he got sued to death and not to death I mean, he, he's not a wonder with us but you know it was weird yeah. so we'll, we'll find our way to number 10. This is number 36 on our last countdown. And uh, I can remember when uh, the captain passed away a few years ago. Uh, You know the LP cover for the captain and Tennille where he's wearing his hat and Tennille, she's shining her teeth, they're shining her teeth, has her shiny teeth smile. (laughs) <laughs> and they have those those bulldogs or whatever they are in their laps. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, and and someone replaced the captain with the trout mask replica of Captain Beefheart. So, if, <laughs> are you familiar with that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the captain, okay, that being Captain Beefheart and Tennille. Yeah. But uh, but both 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 captains are no longer with us. But this is a. This is kind of a nice song. Yeah. You have anything on it? No, I'm, I'm just wondering if anyone ever put the skipper in there. <laughs> <laughs> but he was a skipper. He yeah. wasn't a captain. Yeah. You know, Gilligan never called him captain. Yeah. I, well, I think Mrs. Howell and Mr. Howell might have. Yeah. How about Shatner? You put him in there? I don't know. <laughs> uh, I don't think it's as funny. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, you never done it like that, uh, the Captain Antonio. This was, yeah, a repeat from our previous episode. It was written by Howard Greenfield and uh, Neil Sadaka, and it got to number 10. And it was originally recorded by Sadaka on his album, A Song. Yeah, that, that capitalist pig. You'll sit back up. Wow. You keep go home. You <laughs> go. Well, this is number 23 in our last countdown from September 9th, 1978. This is Kenny Loggins. And it's just Kenny Loggins. But we know who else is in it. That's right. I think we talked a lot about that last time. Yeah, yeah. So this is yeah. Whenever I call you friend and um, number yeah. Did you mention number twenty three in our last countdown? Yeah. Yep. This one got to number five. Kenny Loggins co-wrote this. 
with Melissa Manchester, but he sang it with Stevie Nicks. And, uh, she was great in the Poseidon Adventure. <laughs> Who, Stevie Nicks? <laughs> Don't get them mixed up. The bricks you dip in the gold, and the gold you dip in the red paint. <laughs> Speaking of captains, do you know who played the captain in the Poseidon Adventure? Wasn't it uh, George Kennedy? No, it was Leslie Nielsen. <laughs> <laughs> well, and they were together in the Naked Gun movies. Right. <laughs> so Kenny's still with us. He's 74. <laughs> Ever been to Montreal? I have, yeah, a few times actually. I've, yeah. I've never been to Montreal. Yeah, nice, nice city. Yeah, I should. I, I wanted to go to uh, the Canadian Grand Prix up there, and I almost got a chance for work to go up there because they, the uh, the engine company, had an issue up there. Mm-hmm. But I, I myself and Steve and Chris, <clears throat> we're all going to go, and uh, and I went to do my plans, and there were no more seats, and I'm glad I didn't go because it was like they, all they had to do was plug in the test connector. Yeah, well, that was money well spent. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, yeah, this is. Uh, I just want to stop by Gino Vanelli. So is that Casey, his real name? I believe it is. Yes. Yeah. Um, so Casey talked about how Gino crashed the gates at AM Records a week before Christmas when he was walking by and he saw Herb Alpert in there and he like ran in and got Herb to agree uh, to listen to his demo and after hearing it, Herb gave him a recording contract. This one got to number four and number one in Canada where uh, Gino's from and it remains his biggest uh, hit single to date. The recording was produced by Gino and his brothers, Joe and Ross Vanelli, and the song was written by Ross, and it received a nomination for a Grammy Award for Best Male Pop Vocal Performance. Gino's still with us. He's 70. There's that Baker Street hmm. saxophone again. Well, this was number five in our last countdown from, I don't know, 10 weeks ago, nine weeks ago. So this this is a big song. This one hung out for a long time. Yeah. Gets you all over by The Exile. Yep. And this is off their album, Mixed Emotions. And uh, yeah, this this one had gotten a number one. And it was uh, written by leading glam rock songwriters from the UK. And uh, yeah, Kiss You All Over was the brainchild of Mike Chapman, who wrote and produced the song with his partner, Nikki Chin. The pair had scored hits with The Sweet and Susie Quattro and The Eros. Um, Exile had a, a few uh, number one country hits in the. So they. Uh, they were more of a country band, actually. So uh, we're right in the midst of uh, four in a row that were on our last countdown, including this next song. 
Thing. Which yeah. was number 11 the last time around. Yeah. So this is Hot Child in the City by Nick Gilder off his album Brother the Brother. Yeah. Um, this was Gilder's only hit. And, uh, but uh, Nick is still with us. He's 70. And uh, yeah, we talked extensively about this song back in that previous episode. I just have to say one thing. Child in the city. Or no, hot dog in the city. Hot dog. Ketchup, lots of mustard. (laughs) Also a repeat from our previous episode. (laughs) Good evening. Tonight on It's the Mind, we examine the phenomenon of deja vu. That strange feeling we sometimes get that we've lived through something before. Don't forget the onions or whatever. Okay. You don't bring me flowers. I don't know if Casey talked about this on this episode, but <clears throat> originally, uh, Barbara Streisand and, and uh, Neil Diamond were both on Columbia Records, and uh, they each put out a solo record of this song, and some DJ somewhere said oh my goodness this stuff is in the same tempo whatever and he mixed it and then they went back in the studio and they put it together did casey talk about it here he he didn't but i had that information written down yeah so uh, you don't bring me flowers this one got to number one and yeah as he said they recorded separate versions of the song and they were spliced together by a name of a guy dickie uh, goodman <laughs> Gary Guthrie <laughs> kind of sounds similar. Um, he was a producer at radio station WAKYAM in Louisville. Wacky. <laughs> People heard it on that station and asked where they could buy a copy. So Streisand and Diamond recorded a version together. The song was written by Marilyn and Alan Bergman with Neil Diamond and was originally for a failed Norman Lear TV show called All That Glitters, which was a role reversal taking place in a female-dominated society. Um, Marilyn and Alan Bergman wrote the song Windows of My Mind, a big song in the 60s. So Barbara and Barbara Streisand and Neil Diamond both went to the same New York City high school, Erasmus High School and they they were in school in the school choir at the same time realize that yeah so their chemistry and performing skills made their duet on this uh, song very convincing well their uh choir conductor or whatever it's called must be very proud yeah i wonder if there was anyone else in the choir alice cooper All right, this is Anne Murray. You needed me. Yeah, another repeat. Yeah, yeah. Another repeat was eighteen on our previous episode, September 9th. So this is How Much I Feel by Ambrosia. 
This one peaked right here at number three. The song was written by the band's guitarist, vocalist, David Pack. Uh, Ambrosia had five top 40 hit singles released between 1975 and 1980, including the top five hits. This one right here, How Much I Feel, and uh, also The Biggest Part of Me. And then the top 20 hits, You're the Only Woman, and Holding On to Yesterday. So most of the original band members have been active with the group continuously over 30 years to the present day, with the notable exception of uh, the original lead vocalist, David Pack, uh, since uh, 2000. Um, Ambrosia currently tours internationally and has worked in the past and present with Leonard Bernstein, Kurt Vonnegut, Alan Parsons, Bruce Hornsby, Bill Chapman, Michael McDonald, Peter and Peter Beckett, among uh, other notable artists. And as mentioned on December 12, 1976, at the big local arena where the hockey team plays, Ambrosia did a show which also featured Dave Mason and Rory Gallagher. That's right. Maybe we should go on the Ambrosia cruise take a nap <laughs> all right this is foreigner this is double vision they had number three last time around with hot blooded yeah it's an interesting story to this song which i didn't know about though um so this is off their album double vision so it peaked right here at number two so Foreigner guitarist Mick Jones and vocalist Lou Graham wrote this song after seeing New York Rangers goaltender John Davidson get knocked out during a 1977 Stanley Cup playoff game. Jones said that that's where the title came from. We were at the hockey game. I was an avid Rangers fan in those days and Lou and I went to the game and the goaltender for the Rangers got a concussion and it was announced over the PA that he was taken off and was suffering from double vision <laughs> so he said well, he never heard that term before and they picked up on it most people thought the song was about drugs and, and i guess the goalie uh, davidson went on to become a popular broadcaster and a hockey analyst and he and jones have had a laugh over this uh, several times <laughs> so you said uh john davidson who was a hockey player well i know john davidson the pop star who uh, was uh, the love boat? Took a cruise to uh, to Stockholm and the Baltic, and uh, he was a working for a suntan uh, a company. Not what do you call that stuff you put on yourself? Yeah, sunscreen yeah. or sunscreen. whatever to get the to get the tan. You know, yeah, Nordic Sun or something it was called. <laughs> and and so this this. Uh, this girl was uh, pretending to be uh, uh, Nordic, and he wanted Nordic girls. She was really from America someplace. But also on that was Telly Savalas. Oh. And Telly Savalas was an evil scientist that made a robot Isaac. And oh, it was God. it was hilarious. And I was, you know, I, I went back and forth between the, ho uh, the not the hockey game, the, the football game on Sunday. But uh, Janet Jackson was on that episode. Jack. Plugman and uh, Dick Van Patten. It was great. Oh, what's funny so. is when I was going through the stuff for the show notes, I think that episode 
was like aired around this time too because i remember no 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 this was not that was in the 80s oh really i think it was the other one i told you about that had betty white and carol oh. channing on it Where did that I... was an early one i read about isaac being a robot though i swear uh, i don't know i'm surprised yeah. george hamilton wasn't in that episode because it was about like you know suntan solution <laughs> 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 he would have been perfect So, um, when you uh, drive to walk, do you ever walk around Garther Park? Uh, no, I do not. Is there one around here? I don't know. Yeah, there's, there's... a Kennedy Park in my town. Yeah. <laughs> well, Douglas MacArthur was an army brat. You know, he went to West Point and later, I think I have postcards from his house or his mausoleum or something in Virginia uh. in the collection. Um, you know, he uh, he was a character. Yeah, he he never died. He just faded away. <laughs> so, so this is MacArthur Park uh, by Donna Summer off her album Live. Excuse me, Live and More. <laughs> well, you know what? There's that band called Live. Or uh, is it Live? Right. You know, it's, in the last twenty years. Yeah. You know, I, I read about him. I don't know if it's Live or Live. Yeah, good point. Are you a fan of Live or Live? No, no, never heard of. So, uh, anyway, this is a cover of the 1968 number two hit uh, from Richard Harris. And so Casey said in the beginning, beginning of this, he said, the ladies are really making their moves. <laughs> Talking about how many uh, women were in the uh, this week's countdown. Uh, oh, sure. So, so he said last week, Donna Summer had the number one album, the number one single on the disco, and on the uh, hot chart. And uh, yeah, so uh, Jim Jimmy Webb wrote this song, oh, and yeah. it's clearly about a love affair ending with the famous cake. You just said it, cake out in the rain. This is one of the more lyrically intriguing songs ever recorded. MacArthur Park is a real park in the Westlake neighborhood of Los Angeles. And the cake, ah. the cake and the rain is a metaphor for the love affair ending. Uh, this earned Summer her first nomination for a Grammy Award for Best Female Pop Vocal Performance. And uh, MacArthur Park was her first number one hit. And it's uh, included as part of the MacArthur Park Suite on her double album, live and more or live and more <laughs> um, and that on the album um it was eight minutes and 40 seconds long a lot longer than the uh seventh inch uh, vinyl single version and uh for cash box donna summer was the 20th best-selling artist of the 70s just behind the eagles and just ahead of aretha franklin you know as silly as this song is I love this song. I think it's it's this is, fun. This is a great song. This is a great yeah. version. I really yeah. like the original too. Oh really? Yeah. Hmm. It's good. Well, play. as we as we roll out with this, the number one song, the number one soul song was "I'm Every Woman" by Chaka Khan. Country was a sleeping single in a double bed with Barbara Mandrell. And the number one LP was "52nd Street" by Billy Joel, as we had in the show notes. Yeah. 
So, uh... Alrighty. So, I guess we're getting to that, uh... That time where we do our ratings and things. Yep. Columbia had five songs in the charts this week. Ah. So. Yeah. Okay, this is a hard ending, if I remember. Yep. (laughs) Even after 44 years, I remember that's a hard ending. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Instead of the DJ, like, ripping the needle off or something. (laughs) Or talking over the, you know, the fade out. All right. So it's that time where we pick that song that we think will torture the other guy that we call your agonizer please no mr spock i have it i have it queued up here it is number 11 (laughs) so this is barry ready to take a chance now i originally have is those of you watching on channel 18 you can see my sheet of paper Mm -hmm. right there I have it crossed off. I originally had You Needed Me, but that's what I agonized you with episode 18. And okay. I know the rules, because I, of course, come up with the rules. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, <laughs> after editing and listening to our last episode, it's like I, I blatantly broke those rules that I didn't really know about. So. <laughs> well, they're, they're evolving, you know? Like golf, you know, golf had a big rule change a few years back. And, you know. Oh, really? What was that, you could throw your ball? Um, well, about dropping the ball, you used to have to hold it out at arm's length, and, and now you put it next to your knee and drop it close by. Oh, that's why I see that. Yeah. That's yeah. ridiculous. Yeah. it's have uh, been playing like that for 200 years, yeah. and they changed the rules. I guess I'll the take pro- a pitch count. You know? Yeah. I guess the problem was, like, if you put your arm out and dropped it, it would keep rolling, and now uh, you have to re-drop it. That's, that's TMI. <laughs> All right, so did I agonize you? You did. Yep. Okay. All right. So I am going to agonize you with number 14, Our Love, Don't Throw It All Away by Mr. Andy Gibb. Maybe I don't want to know yeah. the reason why. I would cue <laughs> up the sound. I would turn the channel. Yeah. <laughs> but less we have to listen to this, the better. <laughs> You know, BGs are very important and everything else, but boy, yeah, I can I can understand that was a reason for disco sucks. It was just fatigue. It it absolutely was. As I talked about, you know, they dominated this year and even going into the next year, and it was like, and and you you kind of thought of disco, the disco you hated as as the BGs. So yeah. Well, the best song is. Not the band that the Bee Gees used to be uh, confused with, but they're brothers from the British Invasion. Number 18, Beast of Burden. And I think Some Girls is one of the best LPs ever. Mm-hmm. And and after the song and the record, is shattered all right and this one and i forget the one before it okay but i think it's a great record i think the rolling stones um are really good i like i like this era of the rolling stones probably the best um because it it was accessible it's and it's when i got a radio and i heard it and i think it's really great yeah yeah good song great album yeah uh, agree i i almost think 
that this the album might have been their peak. I mean, they had some decent stuff after, but really, I I kind of I guess I just listened less to them too as time went on. But this is this is a good song. Yeah. Well, you know, even in the '80s, you know, so you know, 11, 12 years later was Steel Wheels. Great yeah. record. Yeah. Yeah. So. All right. So what do you got, man? Um, I went with um kind of uh it was a big song it was a uh, number 21 blue collar man and you know i, I think i said I, I really of the six songs i really like the tommy shaw ones um and the you know some of the other ones uh i don't like at all so i i really couldn't count myself as a big sticks fan but this is a great song um you know it's funny this and uh you know, Working Man by Rush, I kind of put into a category of like, this is what you'd want to listen to after a day at work like you had today. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Um, I, it's funny, you you uh, said it was a snoozer, but I actually thought uh, number number 16, Strange Way, is a good song. When it when it picks up a little bit, and then you get the big flute solo at the end. This one, yeah. So what is this? Your other best song of the countdown? Yeah, yeah. This was a, this. You can't have play. two. No, no. This is a runner-up. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yes. And you won't get to the flute solo, but uh, I, I I think once it picks up, it, it starts out slow, but it it picks up, and it's a good song. And also, you know, hold the line by Toto. That's that's another real big, real good song. Well, we have to go all the way back, all the way back to the beginning with the troglodytes, the number forty <laughs> for the worst song of the countdown. Wow. Okay. <laughs> a little bit because of because I never heard it, and I I thought it stunk, and you know. Okay. I, I, I didn't get it. I didn't yeah. get it. It's so. funny. I disagree. I was uh, I was actually when I listened to that, I was kind of surprised by that. So. Yeah. But fair enough. Yeah. Well, we just disagree. We yeah. That song. Yeah. <laughs> We've had it. Been away. Oh, yeah. Dave Mason. Yeah. <laughs> was with Ambrosia and Rory Gallagher. <laughs> cue, cue it up. So let's leave it alone Cause we can't see eye to eye There ain't no good guy There ain't no bad guy There's only you and me And we just disagree <laughs> All right. <laughs> Uh, my worst song of the countdown. It wasn't this one, uh, but it was pretty pretty high up there in the countdown. So I I had number thirty. How are you gonna see me now? By Alice Cooper. I just these like slow ballads by him. I don't get how they. Well, that's just you can't see. You know, Alice Cooper taking out a big giant. Uh, toothbrush and, and killing a tooth yeah like like john's father saw at yeah. the providence civic center where the heck it was yeah. 
Yeah, I just, well, maybe because I'm not a housewife, I don't like this. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I, I can tell. You should, you should clean that counter behind you. Yeah, yeah, it looks awful. <laughs> not, not, a, not a good house husband or whatever. <laughs> I never have anyone over. <laughs> I should put up that fake butt off Williams background again so you don't have to look at it. <laughs> it looks fine. Don't look behind me. <laughs> but I'm in the basement, so. Yeah. You don't have a basement. Do you have a storage area? Uh, I got a garage. And, uh, yeah, I, I would have a storage storage area, but I have a garage instead. So. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. And by so, the way, I, you you got your Rory Gallagher shirt on today, but you've got like a sport jacket over it, which is like, yeah. <laughs> but this is not flannel. This is another material. This is a lighter ah. material. Gabardine. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going to see if I can cue up your guilty pleasure. My guilty pleasure. And I think I'll be okay if I figure out which one it is. Guilty. Oh, crap. All right. Hang on a second. We have to suffer through. <laughs> This while you fumble. <laughs> I need a big giant scream, like uh, a TV. No, we have a colleague that has a 48-inch curved uh, screen, and it was in his office, and uh, he brought it home. <laughs> the, from home now. Yeah, the jumbotron. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he works off a of jumbotron. <laughs> All right, I'm having a hard time with this. Okay, I'm going to stop you, uh, Alice. Guilty pleasure. Yeah, Kenny Loggins. Yeah, it's a, it's a good song. I was going to say so the the this song and uh, what came right after it or before it. Um... Well, you've never done it. Like that by Captain Beefheart and Tennille, and after it was, I just want to stop by Gino. Yeah, the this one and the Gino song uh, that like struck my memory. Like, oh, I do remember hearing these those two songs uh, on the radio at this time. Oh, it was, it was big. Yeah, big. Yeah, yeah. But this is a good song. I, yeah, I like this one too. <laughs> well, especially since Maureen McCormick was the you know co-writer. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Who was on the Partridge family, right? <laughs> All right, man. Guilty pleasure for you. All right. I, uh, I, you're probably going to agree. Maybe it shouldn't be a guilty pleasure, but uh, I went with the number one song with Arthur Park by Donna Summer. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I think when it was out, when it first came out, I was used to the other version, and I thought, eh, you know, this is a little disco-y, but it's like, boy, her voice, that it, it, it's a good song for her voice, too. And and I kind of like that it, uh, you know, she gets that little yee-haw, and it <laughs> jazzes up, so. Alrighty. So it's now time for the story song of the week. And I'm going to go first. Is that okay? Yeah, sure. What did you do? I told him a story. 
you play games, I told him a story. <laughs> so what do you do when you go to the YMCA? Since before your sun burned hot in space, and before your race was born, I have awaited a question. You can have a good meal, right? You can get yep. yourself clean. Get yourself <laughs> you can hang clean, out with all the boys. Meal. Hang yeah. out with all the boys. Yeah. <laughs> is, that a, is that a stretch? I guess it's a story or is it just an advertisement? <laughs> I agree. So, so there, when we were in college, there was a guy that was going for a psychology master's degree. And he worked at the bookstore with us. And um, he lived at the Y next to the SNET building. Oh, my God. He didn't have campus housing. You know, he's a little older. Yeah. And uh, I forget his name. But uh, he was an interesting cat. And, uh, and my father was on the board of directors of, of the big city uh, YMCA for like 25 years. I got a plaque. In the, you know, when when your folks die and they get a lot of plaques, you get the plaque, uh, and you're like, what do I do with these things? Yeah. All right. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's cool. Yeah. I I mean, uh, so when I used to, uh, but that had you know that had that was on the next week's date book. I didn't I didn't talk about it the previous weeks. Yeah. So. I was just gonna say one of the perks because my father worked for the, the telephone company is that whenever we went to an event at the uh, big arena that was not too far from the YMCA. We would park in the parking lot for the phone company that was right next to that YMCA. <laughs> so. Well, you know what? That's where my wife parks. Ah! So when I go get my haircut in the big city, I drive the car that has her pass in it and I park there. <laughs> so, so I know exactly where you're talking about. Let's hope so. security isn't listening to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> So what's your story song of the week? You know what? We just pulled out like three stories out of this story song. Yeah. <laughs> I guess I guess you were right then. But uh, no, I went I went with one that uh, you're not gonna like, but I think it's it's the best story song in the countdown, and that's number forty, like a Sunday in Salem. Wow, I I couldn't. Yeah, um, I, yeah. I just will. It's, I, I think it's actually a good song. And if you, I mean, unless you're like a, yeah, you know, McCarthy fan or whatever. But, uh, but it does. It, it's got a lot of metaphors in it. It kind of reminds me, it's like a little bit of like an American Pie type of thing with the with the metaphors and things. Like, ah, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe if Arlo Guthrie had done this, yeah, it, it, it sort of does sound like his, his his type of thing. But um, but it does. Tell but I, a story. I like the I like the I like the pickle song better. Yeah. <laughs> you, do you want a pickle? <laughs> sure. <laughs> no. Then you have to say no. I want to ride my motorcycle. Yeah. yeah. Sick. Cold. Sick. You're not cold. into the pickle song, are you? Well, I, I remember it, but I, I guess. <laughs> 
Because that's really... a real story song. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of that, yeah, uh, Alice's Restaurant will be uh, hearing soon. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So. All right. So you I pick have something to roll out, or do you want to keep? Well, no, to this we have terrific. We've song. got divergent songs, man. Ah, okay, that's right. All oh, right. I forgot about the divergent songs. All right. So. So this is divergent song number one, the one that you didn't care much for, okay. which is uh, number 30. Are you gonna see me now? And uh, this is juxtaposed with- <laughs> I think I can guess. <laughs> number two, <laughs> double vision. Did I think too hard? Uh, it's, it's funny. And it's it's funny because uh, you can leave that double vision on because that's part of my two divergence. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, yeah. So, yeah. I had a number two double vision. And I think that uh, is divergent from number 23. Straight on. Because it's like, well, you're trying to go straight on, but man, if you got double vision, <laughs> hard to walk that straight line. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, we haven't. We've yet to hit the. Uh, I wouldn't call it the trifecta. The double. The daily double. Daily double, where we both uh, do the divergence. <laughs> All right. So, how would you rate this countdown? So I have uh, 19 good songs, 16 neutral, four bad, and one sap. And, you know, it's funny, comparing this to last week's, and last week's I, I gave a, a C plus two with kind of mm -hmm. similar numbers, but I I didn't think this countdown was, was very good, so I, I went C minus. I, uh, yeah. Maybe I'm I'm kind of being hard lately, I guess. But uh, you know, well, I give it I give it a C plus. Okay. Yeah. So not right. not too far off. And and this is kind of right in the wheelhouse of when we should have been liking all this stuff, I would think. Yeah. The last time around, you had a B and I had an A minus. So mm -hmm. did it get that bad in 10, 10 weeks or so? Yeah, interesting because like there were a lot of repeats on there, but I I rated all the repeats the same as I did back in uh, you know back in that last episode. Yeah, but I need you needed me was in both of them. So mm -hmm. I don't yeah, know. Uh, I, I'm kind of surprised. Yeah, yeah, but I guess yeah, I don't know. I just wasn't um, even the top ten. I, I looked at it's like. Comparative to last week's, it's like last week's had quite a quite a few good songs in the top ten, but this one, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. All right. All right. This is my favorite song of the countdown. <laughs> as we as we scroll out of here, right? Yeah. All righty. So, as Casey might say, keep those long nights. And impossible odds, and being a blue collar man. Around the park and streets, 
Thanks for listening, everybody. Give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. And keep your podcast machine tuned right where it is. Alrighty, sir. Another week, another one done. Have a good one. With the groove I only got, we shall all be 